Hi guys, and welcome to the Healthy You podcast, the healthcare podcast focusing on all things healthcare related. My name's Andrew Barton, and I'm your host of your show. Today, we've got Paul Skirfield. Paul completed his Bachelor of Exercise Science at Griffith University on the Gold Coast in 2014, before going on to complete his master's degree in physiotherapy in 2016. Paul has worked for all sports physiotherapy since graduation and has had stints as the head physio for Wynnum Manly in the Queensland Cup Rugby League competition. He's now secured a new role as the senior rehab physiotherapist for the Gold Coast Titans in the NRL competition. In 2019, Paul also completed his master's degree in strength and conditioning through St Mary's University in London. Paul also has an unwavering passion for physiotherapy and sports medicine. He's told me on numerous occasions that although physio is his career, it's also his downtime, which is great because he never feels like he's working. Thanks for joining us today, Paul. Yeah, thanks for having me. So today we're going to talk all things tendons and tendinopathies, and I think it's a probably a good place to start with a little bit of the anatomy. And if you could uh, elaborate for us what um, what a tendon is. Yeah, that is, uh, that is a good place to start. Um, so fundamentally, a tendon joins uh, muscle to a bone. Um, but more than that, the tendons act throughout the body in different ways. So in the lower limb, the tendons act like a spring. So their main role is really to um, store and then uh, return energy to help uh, make our movement more efficient. So if, if you think about when you're walking or you're running or you're jumping, tendons serve a big role in that. Uh, it's always easy if you think of a kangaroo and how kangaroos bound and, and a large ability for a kangaroo to perform as they do is their great ability to uh, transfer energy through their tendons effectively. Yep. Uh, conversely, if you think about it in the upper limb, most of the tendons, if you think rotator cuff or forearm or hand, uh, they don't have that spring-like capacity. They're often a lot more like a string, so long tendinous um, structures. And their main role really is to try and amplify muscle contraction. So if you think about a very small muscle contraction you can make in your hand, but the profound effect that can have and the efficiency that can have. So allows us to be able to play the piano or do handwriting without having um, a huge amount of fatigue in our forearms as we're doing it. Okay. So pretty crucial structure to um, to our muscles working to make us move and, and everything like that. Absolutely. Complements the muscle system. Um, and a common common term that is thrown around or maybe it was thrown around is uh, tendonitis, but I know there's a, a new term or a newer term, tendinopathy. If you could explain to us what uh, what the difference is between tendonitis and tendinopathy. Sure. So um, tendonitis literally means inflammation of the tendon, whilst tendinopathy uh, means pathology of the tendon. So although the difference might not seem important, it actually can have a really profound effect on how the patient interprets what's going on. Uh, so in tendinopathies, we know that there may or may not be uh, some form of inf- an inflammatory process. So you can have um, inflamed uh, inflammation in cells and you can have uh, some biochemical inflammation, but it's not a typical inflammation that you'd see like if you jarred your finger or sprained your ankle, um, which is why the term tendonitis is perhaps a little bit redundant now. Um, and as I said, although it might seem novel, it can actually have a pretty profound effect on how the patient interprets what's going on in their body and, and for that matter, uh, what the best course of rehab is going to be. So if I told you that you had a, a swollen, inflamed tendon, you'd probably think that ice and anti-inflammatory and rest was going to be the, the best thing for it, which in most cases in, in tendons is probably not the case. Okay. 
And why is it not the case in uh, tendons? <laughs> yeah, that's that's the million dollar question. Uh, so ten- tendons, we know um, a, a big part of uh, what causes dysfunction in tendons is the change in the structure of the tendon. And tendons, as we spoke about, particularly in the lower limb, they, they need to be stiff. We always think as physios as stiffness as being a bad thing, but in tendons, stiffness is, is really the most important aspect of, of tendons. So if you think of a... Uh, a stiff spring compared to a slinky, one of them is going to transfer transfer energy really effectively, whilst the other one's uh, just a Christmas present. <laughs> um, so restoring the function of that tendon is not going to come just by virtue of rest. We're going to have to try and rehabilitate it and, and restore some of that functional capacity in the tendon. Okay. And so the the term tendonitis, is that is that something that you'd use or would you tend to use tendinopathy more so now? Yeah, I don't myself use the term tendonitis. Um, tendinopathy certainly is, in my opinion, a more accurate term to use. Yep. There is um, a set of tendon issues that can involve uh, a more specific uh, inflammatory process, but they're probably fewer than um, fewer than people would, would care to think. So, again, I think for that reason, tendonitis as a term is probably redundant okay. in, in my language at least. Yep. Okay. Thank you, mate. And um, if we had a patient saying that my, my tendon feels better when I'm more active and I, I warm up, is that uh, a good thing? Is that something that you would be wanting a patient to uh, expect with their recovery? Yeah, I'd say that that's a very good thing in, in the sense that it probably gives us a really good indication that it is likely a tendinopathy that we're dealing with. And, and as I said before, you can have uh, issues that we think are, are tendinopathies, which are actually masquerading issues and, and perhaps are, are slightly different, but that's a very common presentation that you'd see with a true tendinopathy. Okay. So yeah, that's certainly certainly something you'd expect. And why, why do tendons um, have that warm-up effect or feeling that patients might report on? Yeah, that's, that's a, it's quite a complex question really. And, and there's probably something that, uh, it's probably something that, that's not very well understood. Uh, there's likely some biophysiological and, and biomechanical factors that contribute to that. Um, from a biomechanical point of view, as we said, tendons need stiffness, and we know that pathological tendons or, or tendons that have been sore for a long period of time do tend to lose a degree of that stiffness. So when we first start exercising, yeah, after you've been resting, your tendon feels fine, but then you start to get into exercise it uh, takes a little bit of time for your body to adapt to find that ideal level of stiffness, which um, otherwise healthy tendons probably don't have to go through. Right. And then from a biochemical point of view, uh, we know, again, there's, there's changes which occur in, in um, tendons that have been unhealthy for long periods of time where you start to get more vascular ingrowth into the tendon, so you get more blood vessels, more nerve supply into the tendon, uh, and then you have biochemicals which just sit around those areas and potentially add a compressive nature to the tendon, which irritate them. So when we start exercising, there's a little bit of a lag period from when you start to when the blood supply in your tendon picks up to actually start removing those right. things that are adding a compressive nature. Okay. So it's, it's definitely a complex question. Yeah. And we don't know for sure what the answer is, but they're, they're probably two of the big contributing factors. Okay. But if um, if you are feeling like your tendon warms up with activity, it's probably likely that you do have a tendinopathy or you're experiencing it along that sort of spectrum. Yeah, definitely. That would definitely increase the likelihood that that's, um, that's what you're dealing with. Okay. Um. 
And qu- quite often uh, you might hear uh, or a patient might say that they've been told previously that tendons take a, a long time to heal. What are some of the reasons that tendinopathies are typically an injury that can take a bit longer to heal? Yeah, so um, I guess on a on a, on a cellular level, uh, if you injure injure a muscle, uh, you know the scaffolding to repair the muscles usually returned in you know seven to ten days roughly. Whilst um, tendons, although they're biologically active, their metabolism is a lot less than a muscle, so it's about seven or eight times less than a muscle. So it's going to take a lot longer for the body to uh, produce the new scaffolding to repair that tendon. Um, in addition to that, we know that the type of collagen that makes up the tendon is a really important factor. And oftentimes uh, in that early transition where collagen is being laid down into the tendon to, re- to repair a, a previously injured tendon, we don't get the type or the tensile strength of the collagen that we need. So it's not just a matter of it actually arriving to the site. It then has to go through a process where usually in response to load, we'll see a change in that tendon structure to reflect more of the, the type of collagen which we'd like to see in that area. Right. So they, they really heal seven to eight times slower than muscles do. Yeah, and that's just on the, the physiological reasons for it. You know, if you, we start to look at people that have had pain for extended periods of time, we start to see changes in, in the brain, in the motor cortex, and, and 100% of the time pain is a, a, a function of an output from the brain. So although changes can be occurring yeah, at the local site of irritation at, at the tendon, your brain starts to amplify these signals. So, you know, it's it's confounded by the fact that you've had pain for a longer period. Your brain is probably better at detecting those those inputs and and outputting that as a pain signal. So again, it's 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 highly complex, both on a on a neurological and a, a cellular level. Yeah, right. That's very interesting. It is interesting. <laughs> and I, I think that's important for um patients and people to know that, well, you know, physiologically they can take seven to eight times longer to heal, but then there's all those other factors like you just mentioned with your pain processing, the way that your body changes in how it moves um, and adapts to different tasks that you do. Mm, That's right. And and similarly, you can have tendon issues that flare up, you know, you're in the garden over the weekend, which is a common one we're here, or people moving house and they come in and they've got a, an acutely sore shoulder. And, and that's one where it probably is a, a purely inflammatory right. um, condition, or at least there may be a, a component of that inflammatory condition. So rest and avoiding the stuff that irritates it for a couple of days. And, and then, you know, a week later away you go and it might, it might never come back again, but yeah. certainly in those more longstanding tendon issues where there's been structural change, it's, it's much likely to take a lot longer. Okay. Yeah. So, so if you were to move house on the weekend and you're uh, someone who works in an office and you sit all day, just from going from uh, that low level of sitting all day to moving your house, that that's a normal response for your tendons to have. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, yeah. it could be certainly. Even if you, even if you're physically active and but you're doing a completely different type of job, you might be painting when you're overhead position for all day for two days, and that's just something your body is not accustomed to, and that that big spike in. In loading could be enough just to um to irritate the tissue. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, one that I'm sure you're very good at, given that you're the Titans physio. What what would be the best way to rehab a, a tendon injury? And I'll make it a little bit more specific for you: an Achilles tendon problem. Yeah. So I think, as always, uh, with with every injury, it's it's patient centered and, and based on what the patient needs, and and it's probably important to delineate rehabilitating from a, a pain point of view and rehabilitating from a function point of view are 
are not always um, independent of each other. So, of course, if something's acutely painful, it's going to be difficult to load and restore some of that tensile quality within the tendon that you want. So, um, finding means to reduce that pain in the early stages are important, and that, that'll often include uh, avoiding the irritating um, activities, avoiding compression, and, and often um, some form of loading because we know that the tendon cells, the tenocytes, respond to load. So isometrics have always had good press, but we'll commonly use just a, a standard concentric, eccentric, uh, usually relatively heavy, or, or an isometric. Again, it's different depending on what the patient yeah. will respond to, but that's that's usually our early stage um, intervention just to try and minimise um, some of that pain. And, and mm-hmm. for an Achilles, depending on the location, something like a heel lift in the shoe, uh, might be beneficial just to avoid some of those compressive positions. And, and of course, we use some manual therapy just to try and increase patient patient comfort, comfort even though that's somewhat transient. Yeah. Uh, and then once you've got the pain under control, it really then comes down to addressing the individual discrepancies, which is which is why physio, to me, is such an exciting thing because one size doesn't fit all from a from a rehab point of view, we need to identify not just what's happening at the tendon, but also the the whole muscle and tendon needs to work together. If we think of an Achilles, but the, the calf which supports the Achilles doesn't have the capacity to work for long periods of time, then we're always going to have um, trouble maintaining a, an appropriate load on that Achilles because the calf will give out and then the Achilles has to do all the work. So, so that whole muscle tendon unit is important. Um, from there, again, you know, typically, <clears throat> excuse me, heavy and slow resistance is important to try and improve the um, that stiffness through the tendon. And, and once we've improved the ability for that tendon to absorb load, it's then about going through the stages of absorbing and then reproducing load. So it's, it's all on a continuum. Mm-hmm. You've got to have good work capacity. You've got to be strong. We've got to try and get some structural changes within the tendon. We've got to absorb eccentric force well, so you're landing, and then we've got to be able to land and produce force quickly, like what happens when you run, jump, so on. So um, there's probably – I've probably danced around the answer a little bit there, but there's yeah, – Are you giving a lot of good information? Yeah. <laughs> and so with – you said work capacity, Paul. What do you mean by that? So fatigue resistance, I suppose. Yeah. Um, in muscle endurance is another commonly term that they're somewhat interchangeable in that sense. Um Again, we think about um, the, the calf and the Achilles, and if you're running, how many times that's got to contract over the course of a, a 5K run. We go into the gym and we'll do, you know, four sets of six calf raises, and not saying that that's not important because, again, on a, a structural level, that is going to have a change not just to the, the tendon but to the muscle as well, but um, the ability for that calf to do more than 24 calf raises is probably important. Yep. So um, we would typically look at, yeah, anywhere up to sets of 20, five sets of 20 would be about as high as we go in our prescription for single leg calf raises, which mm-hmm. is which is pretty grueling and there's not many guys that can get that. I know the Australian Ballet has implemented um, some pretty stringent calf loading protocols. I'm not sure if it's 23 or 24 repetitions of slow controlled up-down calf raises they do at the end of every session just to try and increase oh, wow. that calf load and, and they've reported good response to um, with reduced injury rates from that. So. Okay. Yeah. And that's is that something that you carry over that research into what you do with the the boys at the Titans? Yeah, it's probably something that's not done particularly well in a lot of sports is looking at the, the foot itself. And again, we talk about the calf and the Achilles, but ignoring the foot, you, if you can have the strongest calf and the strongest Achilles in the world, but if you're 
foot that hits the ground is like a dead fish and it doesn't absorb any force, then you're going to struggle to really um, optimise the benefits of what's going on further up the chain. So getting a nice, strong, rigid foot's important and they do that exceptionally well um, in the ballet and, and okay. a lot of the performing arts. So, yeah, it's, it's certainly something that we're trying to improve on. I like that dead fishinality. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. And so with, um, with physiotherapy and its role in a, a tendon injury, how would you say uh, a physio is best placed in that sort of in that recovery process? Yeah. So uh, again, I, I think they contribute in a number of ways. As we said, in that acutely painful stage, just trying to find those means to offload the tendon and highlight some of the potentially provocative activities which you might not even even realise is going to be helpful. Um, you know, if we think about the gluteal tendon, there's there's a lot of positions that we can easily get into crossing your legs or just sitting on the couch with your feet crossed over, which we might not even realise we're doing. But oftentimes you'll tell a patient, you know, put a pillow between your legs when you're doing that. And they, they say, they come back the next day and say, I can't believe how many times I went to cross my legs and, and added compression, which potentially irritated that area. So physios are well placed to, to find some of those really common um, positions of irritation and, and try and, I guess, um, educate around those. A- and then hands-on therapy is something that, you know, that gets a lot of bad press, but it certainly certainly helps, you know, when you, you talk to the majority of patients, they, they appreciate that, whether it's uh, trying to improve range of motion in adjacent joints or just some soft tissue therapy around the area, which again, whether it's a local level or, or you know, in higher up in, in through your brain and how that's processed through your brain, we, we probably can't tell, but certainly that has um, some really good short-term effects. But as we alluded to before, it's it's the detail around the, the rehab yeah. plan. You can go online and find an Achilles loading program, but the reality is like with without that being specific to you, you've probably got a pretty low chance of, of getting great results from that. Not saying you won't get any results, you might well get some good results, you might get great results, but yeah, certainly getting the detail into plan and, and trying to figure out a needs analysis is what's what physios are really good at doing. Yeah. So it's a really individualized, patient-centered approach to that. And there will be um, a component of some potentially hands-on treatment, but that's going to be the, sh- the smallest facet to your recovery and the biggest parts, that exercise or that rehab curtailed to that specific person. Yeah, definitely. And and the hands-on therapy is not always – we don't always give hands-on therapy. Okay. And, and you know, certainly there's there's populations that um, maybe it's, it's not suited for, yeah. you know, people that are really – um, hyper aware of their pain, you know, sometimes putting your hands on them can be a really positive thing and, and sometimes putting your hands on them and, and poking and prodding them can actually make them worse or make them a little bit more focused around th- their pain. So that's certainly a decision we've got to make day to day and, and of course, in um, collaboration with with the person in front of us. But, um, yeah, certainly, as you alluded to, exercise is really you know, for for long-standing tendon issues, it really comes down to exercise and, and nothing else. Even rest can can be really effective to in the short term to um, improve symptoms. But again, let's say it's an Achilles, you, you can stop running and your Achilles pain will likely settle down to some degree, if not go away. But at some point when you start running again, it's it's almost definitely going to come back. You're just avoiding the thing that's, that's irritating. Yep. Which, you know, if you never want to run again, that's fine. You probably don't have to rehab it. But if you want to get back to the activities you're doing, then, then certainly, um, you know, Rehab and strength is is super important. Okay, cool. Final question for you, Paul, is if I've hurt my tendon, uh, does that mean that I can rupture it? Uh, so you, you can rupture it, yes, it, it you certainly can. I think the likelihood is that um, you, you probably won't. Uh, I, I did a quick look on um, at some of the research yesterday and uh, it, 
really the demographic is asymptomatic population, so they've never had tendon pain before, 30 to 49 years of age, male to female, four is to one likelihood. So I think if you're a 40-year-old male, uh, you've never had tendon pain, you're probably in in the sweet spot to potentially, or if anyone's going to do it, it's probably you. I, I think there's probably a role that the brain plays in delivering that pain output in in irritated tendons almost to try and dampen our, uh, the load that we'll put through that area almost as a protective mechanism. And, and again, that's not to say that um, pushing through painful barriers is, is a bad thing with tendon. Quite the opposite, it's, it's probably necessary in most cases, but the risk of rupture is extremely low in um, populations that have tendinopathies. It's extremely low across you know, the general population, but yeah. you're probably even less if you actually have a tendinopathy compared to those that don't according to the, the literature. Okay. Because there, there's been a, uh, a few instances that I've had clinically where patients have asked me, I've had this Achilles tendon problem. Does this mean I'm going to rupture it? And so it's nice to be able to um, implement that that evidence now and say the, the risk is quite low. Yeah, that's right. And, and it's pretty topical at the moment. You know, in, in sports, there's been been a few high-profile ones. Kevin Durant last season rupturing his Achilles, you know, at a, an important stage of the year. And I think that naturally um, increases everyone's um, everyone's excitement around Achilles ruptures. And certainly there's things that you can do to mitigate that risk, you know, from a, an exercise and rehab perspective. Um, you, you see a lot of them posted on on. Uh, social media of people doing repeated box hops or repeated box jumps that probably don't have the underlying capacity to do that. And it's an extremely exhausting activity at the best of times. Um, but yeah, probably just exceeds the the maximum strain rate in, in the tendons. And so that's why you can see someone do it 20 times and the 21st time they do it, yeah, pop it goes. So yeah. again, I'd just be mindful of having huge spikes in that high tendon yeah. load. But other than that, I think the risk of um, acute rupture is pretty low. Okay. Mate, you've answered that really well. Um, if you could give our audience three key take-home messages regarding uh, tendons or tendon problems that you think would be beneficial, that'd be, be great. Uh, so you brought one of them up yourself, which is um, around the, the terminology. I think, as I said, for me, um, tendonitis is a redundant term and being accurate in the terminology we use is, is really important, um, both in terms of what patients understand and, and what patients are going to go home with. If we tell a patient they've got tendonitis, the likelihood is they're going to go and look up tendonitis on Google and, and that's probably associated with, you know, a lot of information about it being an inflamed tendon, which is potentially not correct. So that that would be my big one. Make sure we get the, um, the, the language correct, which I think across the – Across the profession, something that we can um, we can continue to improve on. Uh, the second one is certainly being individualised in your rehabilitation. So again, it's easy to go and look at some of the uh, loading protocols, and people will look at eccentric compared to heavy, slow resistance compared to you know, other published data, and, and they're good from a, a research perspective. But the reality is. I'd say almost everyone that's that's rehabilitating a tendon injury needs some degree of all of those things across their their program. And it's just about prioritizing um, which ones are most important, which ones you need to get in first. That'd that'd be number two. Number three, that's a really good one. I've got to think about my third one. Hmm. Yeah, pro- probably uh, number three would just be avoiding those compressive loads early. It's something that often we'll we'll get people into the clinic, and again, let's say it's a it's an Achilles. Uh, 
we'll give you some calf raises or we'll give you a loading program, uh, but then we don't give you good education about how to avoid the stuff that's irritating it. So that's not to say that you should stop all activity, quite the opposite, but there's there's really um, low-hanging fruits like heel wedges or, or wearing good quality shoes as opposed to barefoot or thongs, which just potentially can um, minimise some of that compressive load and, and can help in those early stages to really, um, really settle them down quickly. Okay. That were great points. Mate, um, thank you very much for your time and coming in today. Uh, let's hope that uh, the, the Titans can continue their form that they finish off the end of this season into to next month. So Fingers thank you, crossed. mate. Yeah, thank you very much. Cheers.